In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> One day, two senior citizens were out for their early morning walk. They were both walking along complaining about all the aches and pains of getting old. As they passed by the local funeral home, one of them stopped and said, you know what, there's no hope for us, is it? Let's just go in and give ourselves up. <laughs> Heard that thing a long time ago when I was a lot younger. It's a lot more meaningful to me now than it was. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like something was hopeless in your life? I think probably all of us have. And that brings up another question. What are we putting our hope in today? Are you putting your hope in our government, in science, in medicine, in your 401k? If so, you're setting yourself up for guaranteed disappointment. Hope right now, my friends, is something that our world could certainly use a little more of. I think we would all find agreement on that. And today, as we start out our four-week Advent journey, we begin this every year by lighting the hope candle. Because Advent is a season of hope. Advent comes to us at a time of year when the days are short and the darkness is long. The season of Advent, hope reminds us not only of the birth of Christ and the hope that we find in the celebration of Christmas that we'll be a part of, but it also reminds us that we live between the first and second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And that's what this passage here today is really all about. Jesus tells us today in this very revealing, sometimes looked at as an apocalyptic type passage, that only his father knows the time of his next return. And then he goes on to say these words right here. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what time or part of the night that the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man. The Son of Man is coming at hour you do not expect. Folks, Advent reminds us of the importance of being prepared for Jesus' second coming. It's a season of preparation. Well, one Sunday at the church, a mom was talking to her little girl, and she told the little girl that the Bible says that Jesus will return someday. When's he coming back, the little girl asked. Well, I don't know that, replied his mom. The little girl then asked, well, can't we just look it up on the Internet? <laughs> it would be nice if we could look it up on the Internet, wouldn't it? Because he's coming, isn't he? Just as sure as we're all standing here and breathing, he's coming. He's coming back one day for all of us, or he may come back for each one of us individually. But that day will come. And if we knew that date, it would solve a lot of our problems, wouldn't it? Because then we could be ready, maybe. If we knew when Jesus was coming, we'd have everything all tidied up and set for his return in our lives, right? Maybe. 
But we don't know what day that'll be. So all we can do is live ready, and that's not easy, is it? I can tell you right now, you don't know me well, I'm a type A perfectionist like my brother here. And probably one of the character faults of that is the fact that we procrastinate because we want it to be right. Procrastination is something we need to try to avoid in this topic we're talking about today because it's coming just as sure as your next breath. Jesus is one day closer than he's ever been. But we don't know exactly when it can be, so we've got to stay ready. And that's not easy because if life is like one of those half-full glasses of water, some of us are the half-empty people and some of us are the half-full people. And the half-empty people see doom and gloom, whereas as the half-full folks see it as it's one day closer to the glory of God. And right there in the middle somewhere lies the truth. And that truth right there, my friends, is revealed in the hope of Advent. Friends, the underlying message of this gospel passage is one of hope. If you boil it all down, this text tells us three things that we need to take away from it. One, that Jesus is coming back. Two, God's in charge of the timetable. And thirdly, we need to always be ready. Hope is a message we need to hear today because there are many false messages of hope out there today, as we all know. And many will place hope in the wrong thing to their very demise. So many conflicting messages confuse and interfere with our sense of mental well-being and our sense of understanding of faith, hope, and its value and importance in our lives. It's so very easy for us to get confused and distracted today. It's easy to forget who we are and whose we are. And then, from that point, it's easy to begin to lose hope. It's really not but one or two bad events away from our lives, usually. And once that happens, worry and fear can easily turn into despair. Despair being can turn into hopelessness. Both are dangerous and both can be deadly. This past week, I don't know if you saw it, but I saw it for the umpteenth time in my life. And that's a movie you see this time of year called It's a Wonderful Life. Everybody's seen it? Most everybody, I would think, has. What that movie is, my friends, it's a parable about faithfulness. It's a parable about family and responsibility, but mostly it's a parable about hope. It's a parable about God's intervention in our lives in our times of need of hope. And you remember the old story, don't you? Most of you, I'm sure, quite well do. It's a classic, and most of us have seen it. And it stars a guy by the name of George Bailey. George is one of those guys who everybody loves. George is selfless. He's easygoing. He gives of himself to everyone. But then a crisis, a financial crisis, comes into old George's life. The bank examiner is coming. And George finds out there's a huge shortfall in the account because of his Uncle Billy's blunder. And he begins to start a slow spiral of despair. But George is those kind, one of those kind of guys that's going to take the fall for the team. But then a series of little additional events begin to occur. And suddenly, George's life craters. Ever been there? Well, George goes off for a drink, and he's sitting there, and he tosses up a prayer to God. A prayer of despair, as I like to call them. Ever done that? 
George even admits that he's not a praying man. But then he asks God to intervene and show him what to do next. Never done that. In his despair, two of his friends try talking him to going home. But things get kind of ugly real quick, and the next thing you know it, there's a little conflict going on between these gentlemen. They tell him to leave, and one of the guys is insulted because George had said something to his wife earlier in that day that insulted her, and he punches old George's in the mouth. Well, George gets himself off the floor, touches his bloody lip, and says, well, that's what I get for praying. George, at this point, is feeling hopeless. George reaches into his pocket and checks and makes sure his life insurance policy is still where he'd put it. And then he heads out to do the unthinkable. In his spiral of despair, George has become totally hopeless. Once again, have you ever been there? George then decides to do the only way out is to take his own life. Did you know that 700,000 people a year do that? And many more try. Despair and hopelessness is all around us, folks. And it's accelerated in this season, believe it or not. Well, you may remember the rest of the old story. God did hear George's prayer. In fact, he sent a guardian angel by the name of Clarence, and he intervenes by showing George what his life would have been like and what life in that little town would have been like if he had never been there. The angel, or God's intervention, I should say, through an angel or through someone who may intervene in your life at that moment, gave George a renewed sense of hope. And with that hope came a new lease on life. And once again, I ask you, have you ever been there? Folks, the reason this movie has become such a classic is because we've all been there, every one of us. And if you're young and you haven't yet, you probably will. Oh, we may not have stood on the edge of the bridge to jump off like old George did in the movie, but I can promise you many of us have stood at the edge of despair. We've all felt the uncertainty and fear of this life and the unknown from time to time. We've all likely felt that we are at the end of our rope from time to time. We've all felt like old George Bailey. So how do we find hope and keep that hope alive in the midst of not only despair, but the daily uncertainties of when Jesus will return for us? Well, if you're like myself and many others, like George, often the first thing we do is we cry out to God. And oftentimes we ask, amid that despairing uncertainty in life, that um, we scream out and say, God, come on down here and help me or give me a sign or show me something. When Jesus spoke of the fall of the temple prior to this week's gospel to his disciples, they asked him, Lord, what will be the signs of these events occurring? It's a common question of mankind. We all want a sign. The sad truth is we often don't see it even if it's right before us, which brings to mind another movie movie called Bruce Almighty. Anybody ever see that one? It's a pretty cute movie. It stars Jim Carrey. There's a scene where Bruce's life is falling apart, kind of like old George Bailey's. 
He got fired from his job. He got beat up for trying to help a homeless man who was holding a sign. Then he has a fight with his God-fearing girlfriend, whose name happened to be Grace. And he jumps in his car and he drives off feeling sorry for himself, talking and yelling at God. Anybody ever done that? <laughs> he says, okay, God, if you want to talk to me, then this is the time. Start talking. Tell me what's going on, what I should do. Give me a signal. <laughs> and right then, he passes a traffic sign that's blinking these words, caution ahead. But he ignores it. And he continues his rant at God. Bruce then says, well, I need your guidance, Lord. Please send me a sign. And about that time, a DO tree truck pulls up in front of him, and it's packed full of signs in the back of it. And they say, dead end, stop, wrong way, yield, no crossing, do not enter, and a whole litany of other things. <laughs> but Bruce ignores the sign because he doesn't see it. He's asking for it. And then he complains about the truck, goes around it, and runs right into a light pole. I tell you that because I think Jim Carrey captures in that scene just how we feel amid the crises and despairs in our lives. He also clearly reveals exactly what usually happens next. We ask for a sign, but we're so blinded by what's going on in our own lives at that moment that we can't even see the signs. We can't see them through the fog of our emotions that starts getting in our way and distorting our vision. That's part of what Jesus was saying to his disciples and to us today. He says the signs, friends, are all out there. We see them all the time. And they've always been out there. We just have to look for them. We have to get ready and stay ready to know them when we do see them. So where should we look? How do we see these signs? Well, it's really quite simple. The hardest part is just doing the simple things that are required. We often think there must be, or we want it to be, some long, drawn-out ritual, rite of passage that will make everything else right, wrong. That's the whole works by righteousness problem. Sadly, we have trouble getting past the simplest accepting of the words that say, ask and we shall receive. We just can't grasp that concept of God's loving grace. The simple things or directions are love God, love your neighbor, pray daily, worship weekly, give of yourself and give of your income, and read your Holy Hope Handbook as I like to refer to it, some people call it the Bible. That's all we're called to do. When we do those things, when we practice our faith and put it into action like that, daily, we're able not only to see the signs, but to read them. They become clear. There's nothing wrong, though, with asking for a sign. But we must stay ready so when the signs are given, we can see them, and see what they say, because they're signs of hope, and hope is the sign that we're always looking for when we're in that moment of despair. It's what we're always looking for. And it only takes a small amount, a little glimmer of hope is all it takes. Advent's like, it's a season of hope. 
Advent hope is something like maybe baking Christmas sugar cookies, and then someone decides to drop in just a little bit of color, and you need it, and what does it do? It changes all the cookies to that color, doesn't it? Hope's like that. It only takes a drop. It only takes a small amount. What happens then is it starts to change the situation. It's the very same with the hope in our lives, friends. And that hope can show up in any kind of different way. It can be a special moment in prayer or in a hymn. It often hits me on this closing hymn. It can happen as you place a plate of food to some stranger in need. It can be seen and heard and felt in a hundred different ways. It can happen during any and all the seasons of the church here as well. But it's especially present at this Advent season of the year. Because this is the time that so many are searching and seeking for hope in their lives. You see, there's a universal need for hope in this world today, even amongst the glass half full people. And the truth is, hope is contagious. We need that. We need to be around hope-filled people. Because it only takes just a small amount to change everything around you. I've said this many times, and you've heard me preach it. In my opinion, one of the greatest movies of the 90s was Shawshank Redemption. I'm going to tell you something. I wrote a 29-page essay on this from a spiritual perspective, and I had a systematic theology professor who was absolutely amazed by it. Because this movie, and that movie, is a hope movie. It's a movie about being in a hopeless place in life. It's called a prison. That's no different than being in a life of sin, friends. It's a masterpiece. And in that movie, my favorite theologian, they don't like it when I say that. <laughs> my favorite theologian, Andy Dufresne, is a quiet banker who's unjustly convicted of murder. He's sent to Shawshank State Prison. And there he befriends a guy by the name of Red. Red's a black man serving a life sentence. Red knows the ropes of prison life. He's a go-to guy if you need things in prison. But old Red had lost his hope. He'd been up for patrol, uh, for patrol, parole many, many times, but he couldn't get released. It was Andy Dufresne, a quiet guy, but a hope-filled spirit guy that attracted Red to him. See, hope in the midst of the ordinary, everyday lives we live is what we seek when we don't have it. Hope that can spring up amid turmoil and fear-filled uncertainty. Hope that can pull us out of selfishness and lead us into readiness. Friends, William Barclay is one of the greatest commentators, I think, that we've ever seen in our lifetime. And he described this, and I think this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard about Christian hope. And he said these words, the Christian hope is the hope which has seen everything and endured everything, and is still not despaired because it believes in God. The Christian's hope is not hope in human spirit, in human goodness, in human endurance, or in human achievement. Our Christian hope is in the power of God. Red saw that power in Andy Dufresne. Near the end of his life, or near the end of the movie, I should say, Red finds a letter and some money after Andy had got out. Because Andy had left him a note. And, and, just, and Andy, just like everyone else, just like uh, our brother Bruce Almighty, 
and just like old George, could only take so much. And he finally had had enough about being in prison, and he escaped. But his hope had been contagious. And he had shared with old Red that, you know something, if I ever get out of here, I'll take care of you. And he did get out. And near the end of the movie, Red finds this letter and some money, and he left him, and boards the bus headed to Hancock, Texas, on the border for a whole new life. And these are the words that Red says. I find I'm so excited that I can hardly sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. Friends, Red had not just been freed from prison. He'd been freed from a life of hopelessness. There are a lot of people around us. There may be some here today who are imprisoned by a life of hopelessness. Mankind has an intrinsic and universal need for hope. We have a need for hope in the midst of the ordinary. Hope in our everyday lives, hope that can spring up amid the turmoil and fear-filled uncertainties of life, hope that can pull us out of selfishness, and as I said earlier, lead us to the readiness that we seek in Advent. Friends, Advent is a season of preparation. Advent is a season of waiting and hoping. Advent reminds us that there is hope. It also reminds us that we're not alone in the journey. It reminds us hope became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. It reminds us hope knows all the uncertainties of this life that are still before us. It reminds us that hope knows the darkness of life and has overcome it. Like my favorite theologian Andy Dufresne wrote in his letter to Red, hope is a good thing. Hope may be the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. Friends, Jesus, Jesus is our living hope. He is our Advent hope. He is the reason for this season. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is with us always to the ends of the ages. That's the hope of Advent. That's what we await, and that's what we celebrate. That's what this season's about. It's about hope in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So if you're placing hope in anything else, please redirect it. Aim at Jesus. He will provide the hope for all the darkness and all the hardships in this life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.